welcome back to Totally Awkward Random. Today I'll be discussing the second half and the final half of the Pixar theory. We capped off last episode talking about the power struggle between animals, humans, and AI, the rise of by and large, and a little hint to the movie WALL-E, which is next up on the Pixar Universe timeline. By and large results in a world of trash, leading to WALL-E. In the intro to WALL-E, we see the little robot scrolling around the earth, packing trash, cubing it, and piling it up. Cities, no longer cities, just piles of trash. The earth is inhabitable, and we see that again when we see the humans on a ship. We soon find out that the humans left earth for 700 years. At least, that was the plan. Animals are dead, but not really, and by and large still controls the human race by pampering them to death on the ship that they are on. <laughs> Meanwhile on Earth, something that you probably will be flabbergasted by, cars one through three are taking place. The idea is that the cars still need gas, so they eventually will die out, but they are alive. <laughs> You may be wondering how it is possible for literal vehicles to come to life. That, yeah, I agree. But while this is probably the wackiest part of the theory, I kind of like it the most. You see, cars are thought to have taken on their owners' personalities. People, not people, cars, sorry, like Doc Hudson, one of the old racers that Lightning McQueen treats as his mentor he could have taken on the role that his human owner had. Same goes for Lightning McQueen and the new racers. As time goes on, the newer cars come to life and take on their younger personas while the older cars die out. In comes the new generations in Cars 3, and the cycle keeps continuing until the cars run out of gas. While this part of the theory doesn't have much of an explanation and is probably the least secure part of the theory. It is, once again, my favorite, and not that much of an important one. You see, by the time humans return, after finding out about Directive A113, which stops the captions from knowing that the Earth is habitable and that they've extended their time on the ship and in space, the cars will have died out and the trash will have decomposed slowly and slowly, but the Earth obviously still needs a lot of reparation. Since that's really, really unlikely for the human race to be able to completely repair an Earth that was so far gone, what happens in the Pixar theory is that due to the pollution, which probably, supposedly, caused the cars to come to life, the humans evolve and mutate into monsters. Intro to Monsters, Inc. While this seems completely wacky, hold on, stay with me. You see, we've seen humans turn into monsters before. Back in the 50s and 60s when the humans still had power, and there were superhumans. Jack-Jack, the little baby of the Incredibles family, had a very wide selection of powers, including the ability to turn into a fiery flaming monster. So we pretty much know that it's possible. Now that we've established the possibility for humans to turn into monsters and basically clarified it, we are going to be talking about the scare floor. In Monsters, Inc., one of the main themes is that Sully and Mike are a team on the scare floor at Monsters, Inc. The 
scare floor is the access to energy for the entire monstropolis which is the city that they all live in essentially they go through doors that change every day and they go and scare children collecting the energy from their screams to power their city the question is if their energy comes from children's fear how are they accessing it if all the humans are now monsters the answer is time travel now disclaimer i'd like you to remember remind yourself that anything is possible in a disney pixar movie so the same goes for this pixar theory time travel isn't all that far-fetched the evidence is that the kids including boo all have toys from pixar movies taking place in the 50s to the 2000s people have little balls that are in toy story have some of the toys that are in toy story have uh, by and large items and have Incredibles magazines and Finding Nemo toys. These doors are designed to go to one child's bedroom at a time. So when the energy crisis strikes in Monstropolis, things get complicated. The reason for the energy crisis is because kids don't scare like they used to. That is the quote from the movie. But why is that? Thinking back, this is because when time in the monster world goes on, so does time in the past. They are parallel, they move at the exact same time. This explains why joy and laughter become more valuable over time. Say if Boo was a kid in the 60s, that was a time where fear was high due to situations like the rise of AI and the superhumans. As the human race goes on and becomes more familiar with AI, the fear bottoms out and laughter and joy become far more valuable in producing energy. Now that we have an understanding of how the energy crisis works, we also know that the time in the human world and the time in the monster world, past and future, are traveling parallel. This gives us an even better understanding of the fact that the monsters can't access doors too far in the past, but also can't access doors in the future. They are accessing only the doors at the present. So once Boo becomes no longer scarable or a viable source of energy, her door gets lost. Sully and Mike move on. It, this story is over for them. But we loop back to Boo's door, not the one that Sully and Mike use, but the one in Brave. The witch in Brave has a door that allows her to time travel. This is literally the entire theory. The idea that the witch just has a door that the monsters have thousands of years in the future, that's just ridiculous. So could that potentially mean that Boo, the little girl in the first Monsters, Inc. movie, is actually the witch from Brave. Looking into even more detail and looking for more evidence, she has a literal carving of Sully, the person who she called Kitty, not person, I'm gonna say person because it is a person, but it's mutated, a monster that she called Kitty in her youth, the monster that tried to scare her for energy but simply couldn't. Maybe, just maybe, she had spent her entire life using the doors to harness the power to find Sully again. She just hasn't found him yet, and that is why, in Brave, she goes on so many, let's call them business trips, with her door. She's been spending her entire life and thousands of years because at this point, if you can time travel, you're basically immortal. She's looking for Sully. That's the entire theory. And it's probably the coolest connection in the Pixar universe. This theory is absolutely insane and can be kind of difficult to understand. So I highly recommend that if you are curious, 
check out some YouTube videos, look online, even read the book by John Negroni, who uh, basically came up with the Pixar theory. I'd also like to point out that this isn't confirmed, nor is it denied by Disney Pixar. But, as many creators that have done even more research than I, plenty more research than I, on the topic, have met with executives from Disney, and they can't deny it. So I really, I really think that of that as a confirmation. All in all, the theory is fantastic, and with every new Disney movie that comes, and even the ones that I didn't mention today, like Inside Out, um, Disney's Onward, which came out in 2020, um, there's new Disney Pixar movies coming out very soon. I think there's one called Luca that's coming out. Keep an eye out for that one. They all fit into the storyline. It just depends on how you look at it. If you do find yourself curious as to how movies like that and the other that have gone unmentioned fit into this timeline, fit into this universe, feel free to do some more research. And yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode, part two of the Pixar series. Tune in for another episode coming soon.